morning. It's so great to see each of your faces. Before uh, we show a video that I want you to see this morning, we are going to, uh, I, I just want to thank our worship team. Uh, over the last few weeks, our worship team has done a fantastic job, and I feel like the Spirit has been moving during our worship, and I want to thank them this morning for that. Uh, our drummer sick this morning, and Weston filled in, and so this was all just kind of last minute uh, uh, put together because our drummer was sick, and so I want to thank them for leading uh, faithfully us this morning. I do want to show you this quick video before we start. When your cable's on the fritz, you get frustrated. When you get frustrated, your daughter imitates. When your daughter imitates, she gets thrown out of school. When she gets thrown out of school, she meets undesirables. When she meets undesirables, she ties the knot with undesirables. And when she ties the knot with undesirables, you get a grandson with a dog collar. Don't have a grandson with a dog collar. <laughs> it's so funny this morning. Well, can anybody name the underlying principle of classical physics portrayed in this video this morning? Anybody? Cause and effect. That is right. You know what's so funny about cause and effect is it is by nature in, in the life of, of the human existence that we tend to ignore the principle of cause and effect. It, it, you only have to do is look at everyday situations in life to realize that people want to ignore the reality of cause and effect. Here's what I mean. Think about it this way. Somebody did something wrong at their job. Their boss calls them into the office because they spilled bath and body lotion all over the floor. Now, rarely will they admit that they spilled the lotion because they're clumsy and they tripped over their own feet. But what they will do is say that, oh, I didn't see the table in front of me. I, somebody called my name, and when I turned my head, I didn't see the table, and I ran over and spilled all over. They don't want to admit that the reason there is lotion all over the floor is because they're clumsy. I, I think about marriage often. It, it, it seems to me that whenever our spouses are upset, we like to just say that, well, they were born that way. But then some of us will say, no, 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 they weren't like that until we got married. And, and, and we will tend to say that after we got married, it seems like it has ruined the relationship. It has ruined the romance. It has ruined the fun. It has ruined the passion. And while we like to blame it on marriage, the reality is the romance, the passion, and the fun are all gone because they are married to you. Right? We don't want to admit that we're half the problem. We're half, we're half the issue of, of this, this, this effect that has happened because we've gotten married. We think it's all of our spouse's problem. Now, there is an exception. Teenagers. Where are my teenagers this morning? There is an exception if you're a teenager. See, teenage life is the only time in life where this is the exception. Because you don't understand the word effect. You just like to experience all the causes that you possibly can in order to get to the effect. And in fact, people will not say to you, why did you do that? That was so stupid. Because they know that you're just a teenager. But that's the beauty of it. You get to do whatever you want because you don't know what will happen. And so this is really the only time in life that there is no cause and effect for you. Although there is an effect. We just don't know what that may be during that age. This morning, I'm, I'm interested because... There is a cause and effect dynamic when we follow Christ. There is a cause and effect dynamic in our spiritual journey with Jesus. And the reality is, is that God, Jesus, offers us a better life, a far better life than we could ever imagine. In fact, he talks about that with us in, in this beautiful thing called the Sermon on the Mount, and, and, he, and he portrays it in the kingdom of heaven. But what's interesting is that 
we have a disconnect, and, and we don't want to admit our own spiritual deficiency. You see, we talk about in our spiritual life that we want to read, we want to grow, we want to pray, we want to serve. But then when God feels distant, he feels aloof, he, he feels as though he doesn't care or he doesn't listen to us, we blame it all on him. And I think for us, we have yet to absorb the responsibility of our own spiritual journey. Many of us do not want to admit we are spiritually poor. We are operating, as we said last week, out of a poor spirit because we think it's all God's fault. Now, this morning, Jesus gives us a fun little piece of text that we're going to study this morning that moves us into the cause and effect dynamic of following Jesus. We've been, we've been in Matthew during this series called Far Better, The Far Better Life. And Matthew has done something. Last week, we started studying the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew realizes that, that Jesus' teachings are so crazy, they are so out there, they're so dynamic, that Matthew condenses everything that Jesus has taught in a matter of three chapters. Jesus taught all these things over and over and over again, and Matthew wants to say, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like in these three chapters. So he makes it blatantly obvious what ki the kingdom of heaven looks like. There's no way that Jesus could have taught this in one setting. There's no way you could have listened to this sermon in one setting. And so he tells us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we believe that heaven is not a place that you necessarily go, but rather Matthew, he, 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 he transposes the word God for heaven out of respect for God. That when he says heaven, he means God. And when we're God, there is heaven. And we, we know that in Jesus, he is God. And so whenever we talk about Jesus, we talk about the kingdom of heaven being here and being near in this moment. We think that the kingdom of heaven is the far better life for all of us. But it is quite the challenge to live into. So this morning we're going to read from Matthew 5. Matthew 5 verses uh, uh, 13 through 20. Would you stand this morning for the reading of God's word? Matthew 5, 13 will be up on the screen or in your worship folder or in your Bibles if you brought your Bibles. I know that's a, a crazy idea these days, but we do have Bibles in the Bibles. Here we go. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love that phrase. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth have disappeared, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others according will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless, this is where I really struggle, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Should we be thankful this morning? Always. Thanks be to God. <laughs> you may be seated. Well, I am, 
I'm going to have to slow down. I'm just so excited this morning. I feel like God has prepared a great word for us today, and I'm, I'm trying to slow down, but I can't because I'm so excited. I know many of you have heard this passage before. My goal is not to tell you what you already know about this passage. You've heard pastors talk about before, and you already know that salt preserves. You know that salt adds flavor. You know that salt was, was viewed by the Greeks as, as one of the purest substances on earth. Many of you already know that salt was uh, a compound of sodium and chlorine mixed together. And did you know that salt is one of the most formidable chemicals and compounds? It is nearly inseparable. In fact, sodium and chlorine love each other so much, it's like this match made in heaven. It's like a marriage. And it is nearly impossible to separate the two. Some of you are scientists. If I'm wrong, correct me now. I apologize. It's interesting that Jesus gives us a compliment this morning. He says, you are salt. Disciples, you are salt. Followers, you are salt. And I love to think this, that, that we are salt, that we can live a powerful life. That we can live an inseparable life from Christ. We can have a beautiful life. And we can have a flavorful life that no one has ever experienced before. But then Jesus says to us, but salt loses its saltiness. It has the possibility of losing its saltiness. Now, how is something that is so inseparable, how can it be separated? How will it lose its pungent taste and saltiness? This is the question I've been wrestling with this morning, and this is kind of what I hope you hear this morning. The only way that salt can be, be, be torn apart is to be diluted by water. Diluted. I want to work with that thought for a minute because I think that's what Jesus is working with us this morning on when he tells us not to lose our saltiness. It's interesting that the word saltiness, it says loses its saltiness in our translations, is actually one word that Jesus uses called morose. Now Jesus borrowed this word morose from the Greeks and it means, hear this now, an intellectual deficiency in an animal or a human being. Think about this. What Jesus seems to be portraying to us this morning is that when we lose our saltiness, there is an intellectual de deficiency within us. And that there is a delusion that begins to happen. You see, I think there's, there's no irony here that when Jesus talks about he, salt, he already knows that salt loses its saltiness when it's diluted. And so this morning, I'm wondering if he's wanting to say to us that we lose our saltiness when our minds are constantly diluted. When we are intellectually deficient. Now we're going to get some answers here, but, but I can't go there yet because I want to ask you this question this morning. What is it that dilutes your mind? What is it that is invading your thoughts, what, that is capturing your imagination? What is it that dilutes your mind? It's interesting that, uh, it is interesting the power of the mind. I was riding with Janelle and Miles to the grocery store the other day, and we were listening to a non-Christian station, Shh, don't tell anybody, uh, 96.3 to be exact, and there was a song on, and uh, uh, the, the lyrics weren't great, they weren't bad, they were just really stupid. And Janelle looks at me and she says, is this something we should be listening to, our son should be listening to? I said, hon, don't worry. <laughs> Nobody listens to the words. They only listen to the beat, Right? 
In fact, I think Christian music would actually be good if we adopted a different kind of beat. I mean, it's not that I don't like Christian music. I love worship music, but I don't like Christian radio music. I don't know why, I just don't. But I think it'd be really great if we adopted some pagan beats. You know what I'm saying? And so I said, don't worry about it. Nobody listens to the words anyway. They just listen to the beat. It moves the body. And no longer that I said that, I hear a little voice in my back seat. And he starts singing these words. Well, this song had only been on for a couple minutes. But Miles, our singer, I love it when he, he sings at night when he goes to bed. It's so beautiful, so precious. But he's singing the words to this song. And Janelle looks at me. Not only did he sing the songs on the way to the store, he sang them in the store, on the way back from the store, as we got ready for school, on the bus to school. And when he got off the bus, when he got home, he was still singing the same song. Now, if that doesn't tell you the power of the mind, if that does not tell you about how our minds can so easily be infiltrated by outside forces, that's a prime example. So my question is for us, what is it that dilutes our minds? You see, my greatest fear is that we have claimed to be Christian, but we look nothing like Christian because our mind has been shaped by something else. There are people who would say that they're Christians, and yet the way that they live out their Christianity is all about them and themselves. There are people who claim to be Christian, and yet what shapes their dominant view of you, Jesus, is their politics. There are people who would claim to be Christian, but yet most of their conversation looks like the conversations they have with their friends. There are people who claim to be Christians, and yet their lives look more like advertisements rather than, than living out of the Jesus Christ, the living God. There are people who, who are so, their minds have been so shaped by power and by politics and by consumerism and by safety and by violence and by hatred that, that we no longer look as though we are Christians. And here's what Jesus wants to say to us this morning. He wants to say to us that you are no different than salt. Salt needs sodium. Salt needs chlorine. And they need to be combined together. And you cannot have an intellect, you cannot have a mind unless you are compounded and connected and correlated with Christ. That we can live the best life, the far better life, the kingdom of God, when we are in complete cohesion with him. But we must beware of being deluded. We must beware of an intellectual deficiency. And this morning, I love it because... because we do something pretty crazy here. We, we, we love to read from the lectionary. Now, some of you are like, what's the lectionary? Essentially, these are passages that churches all over the world and this nation are being read today. And today we get our answer to what Jesus talks about when the mind is diluted in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You see, I love Paul because Paul gets to deal with all the crazy people. In fact, he writes this letter to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians are people that look like Las Vegans on steroids. In fact, these people, these are people whose minds have been so shaped by their culture, by the powers, by the, by, the, by the practices of their life that they may call themselves Christians, but they sure don't look like it. And so I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want, I want you to hear this this morning. Let me get there. He says this to the Corinthians. And it's kind of the answer that we're looking for this morning. He says in verse 9, 
However, as it is written, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in the words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with the Spirit-taught words. Lots of Spirit going on here. Now listen to this. The person without the Spirit does not accept these things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. I mean, how often does our faith look foolish to people? Does it really look foolish to people? Or does it look pretty uh, conservative and and organized? How foolish are we? But God considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they, they, they discern only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And here's what I want you to hear. He says, but we have. But we have the intellect, we have the intelligence, we have the mind of who? Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. You want to be salt to the earth, you must have the mind of Jesus Christ. What a revolutionary thought to us today. You see, it's so beautiful that Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. And what he wants to say to us is, I've come to fill your minds with the goodness and the glory of God. And I have been captivated by this question all week. What is the mind of Christ? What is the mind of Christ? And the thought that has been running through my mind is, if you want to know the mind of Christ, you must look at the life of Christ. Here's what I wrote this week, trying to decipher the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is peaceful peaceful presence in the face of forceful power. The mind of Christ appears as subversive idealism in the mockery of sensibility. The mind of Christ comforts those who make us uncomfortable. The mind of Christ becomes open arms in the face of violent arms. The mind of Christ finds beauty in filth. The mind of Christ forgives when we never forget. The mind of Christ makes hope out of helplessness. The mind of Christ overtly loves when others decide to leave. The mind of Christ offers refuge to those seeking retreat. The mind of Christ makes the stationary faithful completely uncomfortable. The mind of Christ is kingdom over country. The mind of Christ rethinks everything once thought. The mind of Christ brings forth life from death. The mind of Christ knows every tribe, every nation as his creation. The mind of Christ is a revolution, not a religion. The mind of Christ is love. And this is what I want you to hear today. The mind of Christ is not a message, but it is a movement that sends a message. Amen to that. I'm excited. Come on now. The mind of Christ is not a message. It is a movement that sends a message to the world around us. Jesus, I want to work with that thought for a few minutes. A movement that sends a message. 
You see, Jesus says something at the end that bothers me so much. He says, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. Now, you know, and I know, that there were around 613 laws that the Pharisees kept. That's pretty intimidating. And the Pharisees believed that in keeping these laws, they would somehow bring about the kingdom of God. And these laws aren't necessarily bad, but the laws were given so that they would reflect God's image, his character, his nature, his goodness to the world. But the problem became that the Pharisees took what was meant to be good and they turned it from a revolution into a relegated religion. One scholar, Stanley Howarth, argues this. He says, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, their rightful desire to remain faithful to God, it was always their attempt to be faithful to God in the midst of exile. You see, these people constantly live in oppression. They constantly live in exile. And, and he says it was, it was to remain faithful to God during his times. But here is the problem. And here's where we can surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. He says the Pharisees quite understoodly tried to observe the law without observance being recognized as subversive to those who ruled them. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? That we can observe the laws of Jesus Christ, but so not as to, to infringe upon, to, to make a threat to the powers over them. So what was meant to be a movement is now just a religion. There was nothing subversive about what these gentlemen were doing because in the face of Rome, they simply said, and then this is what they say when Jesus dies on the cross, we have no Lord but Caesar. Whew. I, I think this morning that if we want to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, when the mind of Christ is all we have, his life shapes us that our lives become an alternative. It becomes an alternative re reality to the world around us. You see, I, I get bothered when the church thinks they have to offer alternatives. It always bugs me during Halloween when the church thinks it has to offer an alternative to the pagan practice of Halloween. But what if we were never meant to offer alternatives to the world, but to live as an alternate alternative of a completely different reality that reshapes the world around us? What if we were supposed to live so alternatively that the reality that people see completely shapes their mindset about the way life was meant to be lived? You see, the mind of Christ is so subversive. It is so revolutionary. I, I just, I think, I mean... This is why I get so excited about the message of God and what he's doing in our churches because what we are doing here is not relegated religion, but it is a movement that is happening. Imagine a church body that looks like salt, that is so united together that, the, that what happens out of their unification is this grand movement into the community where we are no longer simply a message, but we are a movement that becomes a message. Here's how I know that God's working. This is kind of an offshoot of where we're going, but hang with me here. We have said that we will submit ourselves to prayer as a church. And some of you have taken that seriously. 
In fact, on Wednesday nights and some of you in the mornings during your, your everyday life, you've begun to pray. And what I've noticed during that time is that while we as a church are trying to grow together, there is a force that is outside of us within our imaginations that is pulling us apart. You see, there is a dilution that begins to happen. We become deluded in our minds. In fact, the word Satan means accuser, and he accuses us and tells us things that aren't true about what's actually happening. And I have watched people over this last week, by no fault of them at all, but being tricked by this force, telling them that because something has gone bad in the midst of our church just for a minute, they want to leave. Or they have a relationship with somebody that went bad, and they're like, well, I just want to leave. And I have pushed back kindly. I know that's hard to believe as your pastor, that your pastor pushed back kindly. But I've been pushing back and saying, listen, the reason why you are feeling this, the reason why you are in the midst of this, is not because God wants you to leave, but because he wants to build a church on people who stay in this moment. And that you will begin to be salt of the earth in this moment when you live like Christ in the midst of this tension. And so I believe, I know for a fact, I know for a fact that we are moving because there is something trying to pull us apart. And this is why it is essential that we have the mind of Christ. Write this down. The mind of Christ is not a message. It is a movement that sends a message. You see, movement is everything. Movement is what matters most to us today. In fact, Jesus says, he says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine so others may see your good deeds and glorify the God. The God, the utmost God. I gotta be honest. Uh, I've heard so many sermons on this and there's always a disconnect for me. Because we talk about letting our light shine and we sing fun little songs. But what is the light? Can somebody explain it? We know what light is, but how does, that, how does that change what I'm doing as a Christian? What is light? You know, word studies are fun. In fact, often I'll go through scriptures and I'll, and I'll go through each word and I'll try to understand something new about the scriptures that I've never understood before. And I love this. Because these words... Light and shine that come next to each other are translated this way. Actually, the word light means to be known. The word light means to be known, and the word shine means to cause. Whew. The word light means to be known, and the word shine means to cause. You see, the cause is us. The cause is having the mind of Christ. What is known through us is Christ. And the effect is that it will shine on all of humankind. In fact, if we were to translate this, this message, these two words, it would say, because you have made him known, all of humankind is shining. See, we have always been taught that we are the ones that shine. When really the shining is about allowing others to shine. That is through your good deeds that we glorify God and others begin to see that, feel it, and are moved by it. And God is glorified. I kind of like to think about it this way. At the end of every Disney movie, I just watched Moana, great movie by the way. Uh, at the end of every, during every Disney movie, there is this, 
this weird moment where everything that has been given life suddenly is covered in darkness and ash and everything dies. And it's really, oh, Disney movies are dark. But it seems to me that in every Disney movie, there is a force and there is a person, the force that connects with the person that is called to redeem all the darkness and all the death and all the, the dismay that has happened. It's called to redeem that. And here is the vision that I get when I think about movement and light. That at the end of the movie, this light kind of starts to scroll over the land. And you begin to see trees pop up. And you begin to see creatures move. And you begin to see people smiling and happy and celebrating. And it's like this movement begins to sweep over the land. What if that movement was a revolution? What if that movement changed the way our, our country thinks, our politics are formed, our, our government works, our world works? What if the way we lived as God's people began to revolutionize the way people saw the world? I'm amazed by that. I don't know if you are, but I am. You see, this is how, this is how people begin to shine. This is how God's goodness is reflected into the world. And this is how we announce the kingdom of heaven. By having the mind of Christ and making him known. So you're asking me this question. Pastor Brad, how do we get the mind of Christ? It's a really good question. And I don't think I have an answer. But I'll, I'll try. How do we get the mind of Christ? There's a lot of talk about the difference between thinking and doing. There are arguments made that people can think their way to doing. In fact, we live in an age of processing information. Some of us are really good at processing information. Some of us are really good at thinking. Some of us are good at, about thinking deeply about life and God and everything else. But one thing I do know about thinkers is rarely are they doers. One thing I know about thinkers is rarely are they do doers because they're so busy thinking. And doing brings discomfort. Doing causes us to get out of our comfort zone. Doing requires effort. And it requires us to become a movement. I love what Jesus says when he says, is it saltiness? See, I didn't give you the full de definition. I saved some, some for the end. Not only is it an intellectual deficiency, but he also refers to a physical deficiency a physical deficiency this is why at the end of jesus message he says if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven you must teach and practice these things you must do these things that i am teaching you so how do we do it here's my answer i if we want to become a church that moves, I, I, I am convinced we must pray. Oh, pastor, come on, not the prayer stuff again. Listen, I know we talk a lot about it here. I know that that is one of our main focuses this year. But I truly believe that we will not become a movement of people until we become a praying people. That, that kind of elicits an amen from everybody. Amen. 
We will not become a movement of people until we start praying. To where every day, the first thing we do when we get up is not eat our food, not drink our coffee, but we fall to our knees and we begin to pray to the living God. That's how we should start our morning. No more excuses about why you can't pray. If you go to work at 4.30, great. Get up at 3.30. Because I guarantee if you get up at 4.30, you're not going to pray at 8.30 when you get home. Because you're too tired. The first thing you should do every day is begin your day with prayer. We, I believe in the power of it. In fact, uh, Janelle was at a conference this week, and a lady said this. Withness precedes sentness. Ooh. Withness precedes sentness. Being with God precedes the movement of God. How much are we with God? I mean, really, if we're honest about it, how much are we with God? Here's what I know to be true. Prayer is not about getting what we want out of God, but as we say, it's about getting what God wants out of us. It's about what God wants out of us. Prayer is about formation. It's about taking the things that have diluted our mind and reforming us into his image. I, I heard a pastor once say this. Very insightful. But he talks about uh, contemplative prayer. In fact, if you go to our website, we have all time for contemplative prayer. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. And this pastor was talking about uh, the fact that when he sits with Jesus, there were people in his life that create a living hell for him. And he said there are people at times that are so arrogant and they're so self-centered and, and they drive me absolutely nuts. In fact, so much so that I don't even want to be around them when I see them. Wow, it's pretty intense there, Pastor. <laughs> and I remember him saying this. He said, when I sit at the feet of Jesus, I open up my hands and I say, Lord, would you reveal to me in this moment what I need to know about this person? Would you help me see this person in a different light? And he, and he talked about the fact that it was in this moment of sitting with Jesus, it's almost as Jesus pulled him up out of this moment and did a 360 around this person. And it was for the first time, instead of seeing arrogance and anger and hatred and a lack of love, that he began to see this person crying. And for the first time, he saw this person with the eyes of humility. Not arrogance, not anger. But oddly enough, the mind of Christ, humility. And the pastor later told us, he said, it was so weird. Because when I was in conversation with that person, the very vision that Jesus gave me of that person in that moment is the very person that I saw sitting in front of me as they began to weep. Wow. You talk about the power of sitting with Jesus. You want the mind of Christ, you must first sit at his feet, open your hands and say, Lord, would you teach me what it is you want me to know? Would you reveal to me today things about people that I have never seen before? Would you reveal to me in this moment how I am to be a movement in my local context? The power of prayer. Can I challenge you? If you do not have a daily prayer life, to find it, I, I really want this church to go places. And by, I mean go, go places, I don't mean like run like 3,000, that's not my dream. My dream is that we would be a people so on the move for God that Joliet couldn't help but say, what is wrong with that church? What foolishness. We're crazy people. They must have the mind of Christ. 
That's my hope for you today. Through prayer, you would have the mind of Christ. That is the doing. Prayer is the cause, and the effect is the major movement that God is wanting to have. This morning, we invite everybody to God's table. In fact, we believe at this church, you are what you eat. Yeah. (laughs) We believe that when you partake in the body of Christ, you become Christ. We believe that when you come this morning and you eat from God's table, that his grace and his love will be poured out upon you in that moment. And you are to be a people who's, who pours out the grace on others. So for those, of, those serving communion, if you would come forward this morning. At this church, we, we invite everyone to God's table.